Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. We're a bit shorthanded this week, but I am joined by intrepid co-host Jed Brewer. Hello, and known for my intrepid nature for many, many years. Indeed, known for his intrepidness and trying to put three people's worth of enthusiasm into that hello, our own (laughs) Jed Brewer. We have a very fun show lined out. We have the normal chicanery. We have questions. And uh, normally this is where some kind of a disaster strikes and someone interrupts me, but... Yeah, I mean, th- it, things feel, like, oddly calm right now, like... I don't want to point any fingers, gonna... but in the absence of <laughs> one regular co-host who delights in uh, chaos and entropy, I guess we can just actually, for the first time, and I think about 400 episodes, just go to the first question. I, I mean, I it feels weird and, and almost wrong, but I don't, I don't see what other choice we have. Unless Kurt Cameron releases a new movie in the next four seconds, I think our, <laughs> our hand is forced here. <laughs> So our first question comes in anonymously and says, can you guys break down how our healing of spiritual, relational, and communal wounds is like the human body's healing of wounds? Please make sure you reference decades worth of biological, medical, and microbiological research in your answer. Whoa. That's... Jed, have you, have you done decades of biological, medical, and microbiological research? I'm going to be honest with you, Matt. I came close to failing any course that was related to any of that. Yeah, I got a C plus in bio 102, and that's the only science or math course I took in my entire college career. So we might be in a little over our heads. Well, I mean, you know, we are middle-aged white men. Should we just plow ahead and just kind of pretend like we know? Oh, that would be the industry standard. I mean, I don't think either of us are terribly good at it, but, like, we could give it the old college try. Yeah, I mean, they did ask for medical opinions, but I think as middle-aged suburban white men, we do consider ourselves essentially doctors. I mean, pretty much. Like, I consider myself essentially a doctor, essentially a veteran, essentially an auto mechanic. I mean, pretty much. Essentially a contractor, a lawyer. These are all the things that... Just being a white man with confidence, you consider yourself, I could probably pull that off. Well, what I do is I tell you, I I use the phrase, I tell you what I do. (laughs) And that gives my brain bone time to kind of spin up and find a good answer. Oh, that is, that's an excellent stall tactic. You kind of put your, put your fingers in your belt loop and just kind of, well, no one's asking me, but if they (laughs) did. So that's one option. Now we do have a good friend of the show. Friend of us, Bem Kouliot, who is an expert in such things. Her friend Jenny McLaurin has, let me Google, oh, it appears they wrote a book about this. Wait, what? Now, they don't have the incredible expertise of being uh, white men who won't admit they don't know something, but they are actual experts (laughs) in their field. So... I mean, I don't, I don't know about, you know, actual experts that, that makes me wonder about my own life choices, but it's probably the best thing for our audience. It also feels a bit off brand for this show, but you know, things have to change, (laughs) but tell you what folks, Jed and I are going to go away. Jed's going to conduct a couple of interviews. I'm going to, to, uh, read a sample chapter of this fine book, uh, designed to heal what the body shows us about healing wounds, repairing relationships. And Restoring Community by Jenny McLaurin and Bem Kouliot. And uh, while we're doing that, uh, you, you can scroll on down to the Amazon or the Tyndall Publishers link below 
And uh, we encourage you to check out this fine book that our very good actual in real life friend uh, has written, which is kind of amazing. Yes. Uh, oftentimes it's the people after they've written the book, they want to be our friends because we have a podcast. But uh, actually, Ben has been friends of both of ours for a long time, is a wonderful person, and it's a really cool book. So we encourage you to check that out. And for a first time ever, we're going to have a literary special. Ooh. So again, Jed sat down and interviewed both Jenny McLaurin and Ben Kuliat. Wonderful, smart people who have an amazing take on this very cool thing. We're going to have some chapter samples, readings from that book. And uh, maybe I'll come back at the end to uh, do some plugs, give you a song. But until then, we'll see you next week with the uh, regular insanity. So don't get used to like experts and smart stuff being said. No. Oh, no, 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 no. Next week, we're back with making fun of uh, the VeggieTales or whatever it is we normally do. And answering your questions yep. that you can write into say at podcast at gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. And uh, we'll take you to the smart people right now. If if you're into the whole uh, expertise thing, you should definitely pre-order the book because you won't be getting more of that from us. So, you know, go with that. Yeah, no, throwing to people who actually know something is the smartest thing we have done or will ever do on this show. I don't expect it to happen again. <laughs> Today, we have Dr. Cymbeline Couliot, who is a world-renowned scientist. Uh, she has made inventions, she has done research in top laboratories, and was part of mapping the human genome. You might have heard of it. But most importantly to me, she's my friend, and I'm delighted that she's here with us. Uh, I, I know her as Bem. Bem is also a writer, and her new book is called Designed to Heal, What the Body Shows Us About Healing Wounds, Repairing Relationships and restoring community. Thank you, Jed. I, I'm really happy to, to do this podcast with you because I feel, you know, we have been part, my family has been part of the Bridge community and my son grew up and say that, so I'm hoping he's actually listening to this. We are delighted to have you. So the book in many ways is about the intersection between faith, science, and healing. And that's really what we're going to be talking about for the next few minutes today. We should begin by acknowledging two things. The first is each of these fields just on their own have something of a checkered history. Uh, faith and science and medicine do not have perfect track records uh, in this world. Uh, we, we need to be honest about that. Also, they haven't always gotten along with each other either. Um, so there's there's been doing bad and then fighting with each other both. So let's really begin there. How do we live a cohesive life that brings together all three, uh, science and medicine and faith, in a way that is healthy and consonant? So, Jed, I, I was really delighted to get this question because it's exactly what we tried to do. This is what we illustrated in our book, Designed to Heal. And the journey that I actually took to collaborate with Jenny on this is my journey on how to integrate the fact that I'm a scientist. You know, I've been training to be a scientist since I was 13 years old. I was trying to be able to do my science well. I became a Christian when I was in high school. Uh, I went to church, you know, studied the Bible, and that life was separated from, you know, the, being the science part. I didn't really talk publicly about, you know, my faith. I was growing in both, becoming a competent, like you said, scientist that collaborated with other scientists in the world. But many of my colleagues actually don't know that I have this very profound, you know, very deep uh, faith that fueled my science. And this book is really, and how I walk through um, doing this with Jenny is my 
attempt to basically marry the two, <laughs> the two and healing because I'm in the field of healing. Science makes discoveries that are used and are developed ultimately to have processes or tools in order to bring physical healing. Dr. Jenny McLaurin, uh, who is a pediatrician and a public health expert, she has been working with folks in need for more than 30 years. But she is also a writer, which is really important for today because her new book is Designed to Heal, What the Body Shows Us About Healing Wounds, Repairing Relationships, and Restoring Community. It's scheduled for release in August 2021. Uh, because um, I lead a really cool life, I've already read it, and I can tell you it's <laughs> awesome. You should buy a copy. You should go get it and read it because it's great. Uh, Dr. McLaurin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It is a nice introduction. (laughs) It is our pleasure. We are delighted that you're here with us. So let's start here. You know, science and medicine, they're certainly characterized as being focused on a process of improvement over time. You know, the, the inexorable march of progress. Things get a little bit better every day maybe. Whereas faith communities um, are often, uh, certainly they they are stereotyped as being more focused on concepts like transformation and deliverance, um, that we we are going through something rough and then we are delivered from it. And certainly those concepts uh, do come up in uh, the Bible quite a little bit. So how do we go about reconciling these two very different paradigms of improvement over time versus deliverance? Does one of these perspectives have some Thing to teach the other. Yeah, I think both perspectives have something to teach the other, and I think both perspectives are wrongly put in, as in different camps from each other. So, I think your big question that science and faith have a lot more in common than we might realize. So, first of all, I don't think that there's two different paradigms of science and medicine focused on improvement over time and faith communities having more of an instantaneous sort of um, deliverance that's that's rapid. I think we just need to use our imaginations a little bit about words that we have become accustomed to. Certainly in faith communities, we use words that we do become accustomed to and we don't necessarily ponder their meaning. But transformation is an instant either biologically or spiritually, at least while we're living. Wounds are a universal human experience. From scraped knees to torn ligaments to life-threatening lacerations, our bodies become injured through both use and disuse, through unintentional and sometimes very intentional means. Wounds may be self-inflicted or inflicted by another person, animal, or object. We even blame God for some wounds, at least on insurance forms, such as when lightning strikes. Occasionally, we actually choose to be wounded, knowing it is a necessary route to ultimate healing. Surgical procedures are typically undertaken for this reason. Most of us live our lives with no idea of the complexity of the wound healing process. Just as we take for granted the regular beating of our heart, we simply count on healing to be there for us always ready, and always in top shape. The importance of healthy wound healing, not just on an individual level, but also on a societal one, is enormous. 
Over 6.5 million people in the United States have a chronic wound that won't heal. Caring for acute wounds also imposes an enormous demand on health care. Wound care after surgery, wound infections, and wound scarring are major problems. A modest estimate of the amount spent on wound care is $31 billion annually. Getting wound healing right as fully and efficiently as possible is a major goal of the medical and scientific community. Fortunately, our body's wound healing system does seem to work almost flawlessly most of the time. It certainly is elegant, as are so many of the sub-processes we are coming to understand as we go deeper into the mystery of the human body. The healing phases are precise, interdependent, and directed toward wholeness. The four overlapping but distinct stages of wound healing are the central images of this book, which we will turn to again and again. The first stage is hemostasis, or clotting. Then inflammation, an important defensive posture that brings critical helping cells, follows. New tissue formation and maturation develop next. Finally, remodeling occurs, which is key to future function and restoration of health. Usually, remodeling leads to some scar tissue, but discoveries, such as those made in BEM's work, may help advance tissue regeneration and full restoration of new tissues, known as scar-free healing. So, in going through some of these, we saw some examples, actually, of, uh, of how some of these principles have been told in the Bible, parables. In a way, our book is a parable, I think. Okay. We're kind of using a parable of wound healing. So, for example, stopping the bleeding, preserving life, and no nothing. Just do something to, to preserve that situation. And the Good Samaritan is what I mentioned to you, is when the Good Samaritan, so the injured individual, there was really no thinking, what is the color of your skin or what's the situation here? Were you responsible for your injury? <laughs> sure, absolutely. You if you're responsible for your injury and the good Samaritan said, oh, somebody hurt, somebody bleeding. I'm going to do this. Right. Yeah. And so and, and so that I think is one of the the application of uh, the principle that we said in clotting when the body is injured. The first thing it does is preserve life. No judgment, no advice here, no forensic analysis of who is to blame, who is more to blame, this or that. Really rapid response. And I think the Samaritans' uh, reactions show that. And then one of the things too that illustrates in that story, for example, is getting other others to help. You know, mm. the Samaritan actually did not care for that stranger all by himself, you know, and but um, included somebody else in the care yes. of that injured individual, which is what we say that a lot of good healing happens in community. You don't do it in isolation. And you have to draw other voices, other influences, other factors. The way it does in real wound healing, when when the body is trying to build something, like, you know, the, the injured stranger that the Samaritan was trying to help, when he was resting and in the care of the other individual, his wounds had to heal, sure. had to rest, you know. Uh, so the initial first aid turns into something that's going to be for more long-term recovery and supporting that long-term recovery. And that requires you know, inviting other people in. So I think that also is illustrated in that, you know, in that parable. 
Um, and then other parables or other stories in the Bible that really, I think, resonated with me is inflammation. And there's a, um, and there's a story there of, um, I'm, I'm kind of deciding, Jed, whether I'm going to play spoiler and tell. <laughs> spoil away, spoil away. Spoil away. It's like there's this story of to do that. Like, for example, when the, uh, when the Israelites, you know, they were very happy, rescued Exodus, you know, out of the Pharaoh's control, and then they were eating manna for a very long time, and they got angry and inflamed and bored and sure. everything. And there was just this escalation. There's just this escalation of, you know, their emotions and their feeling in the situation that, that they were in. I think that's a good illustration of when a situation kind of boils. Sure. And, and you do, and you, and Moses striking the stone, you know, when he was frustrated with the Israelites. So, and there's a lot, maybe David too, in some of the things that he did, Saul, just in depression and anger and all those things and trying to kill his friend for goodness sake, yeah. who helped him. Just because there were these feelings of injury to pride, yeah. obviously somebody becoming more adored. Sure. <laughs> that he was a king. So, it's interesting that you can take a lot of these principles that Jenny and I saw, and, and I think that's going to be the fun with this book. Is that okay? Here's Jen and Ben, and here's Jenny and Bam. They're telling us about medicine and science of wound healing. They're sharing some of their insights, some of its stories from the Bible, some from their stories and the community, and we want people to see themselves in this in these principles and say, I know that I know exactly a situation where there is over inflammation and chronic wounding and nothing heals because everybody's just angry. Or I see that I see that tissue formation trying to build in my community that's been hurt. And I'm going to be a promoter of that. And the book is going to tell me, how do I promote, you know, those signs of, of healing that are beginning. So, so that's really what we hope is that some of these principles we teach that the readers will be able to kind of find parallels yes. in their own lives and they can use it and they can become promoters of healing rather than promoters of destruction, you know, in their, in their families, in their friendships, in their communities. Yes, certainly. So there's all sorts of ways that even in medicine, we resist the idea that there is something that we don't understand and it needs more investigation, that our first understanding may not be the best one. And that happens in science and medicine, and certainly it happens in faith. We've all seen all the changes we've gone through with COVID, you know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear a mask. Um... It doesn't bother children. It does bother children. But science is trying to be public about that transparency right now in terms of, oh, we were wrong. Let's correct. Let's correct. Let's self-correct and and do better um, with more information. But all of us like to um, pigeonhole things so that we can identify something as harmful or helpful. And then we want to figure out how to avoid the harmful things. So If we see people in ancient times who were sick and didn't get better, yeah, you're right. It was, well, what did you do wrong or what did your parents do wrong? Because we want to avoid that. (laughs) We don't don't want that happening to us. (laughs) And then if we're taught that literally God is going to heal us in a way that we absolutely understand and recognize if we just pray correctly, we want to know how to pray correctly because we want to be healed exactly in a way that we recognize. 
but it might be that um, we need to revisit our own understanding of what it what it means to be healed and what it means to have God at work. And that's, you know, that's an ancient problem, and it exists in every culture, every religion. We want to have a God that we can control, and we want a God who answers us in ways that we absolutely understand, um, because we don't want to say God's to blame. That that seems wrong. So it must be the person who's at blame if our, if our religious algebra doesn't come out with the right answer. Um, but science, you know, it's a human study. So we're always going to know more about science than we know about God. But humility and knowledge is a requirement for the good scientist. And humility and knowing God is a requirement for the good Christian. Um, it's, it, it's something that we have to over and over and over again assent to that um, I I need to be humble in my knowledge and allow for the input of God and other people um, to help shape me towards um, a better understanding of truth, not throwing away truth, but just maybe understanding it a little bit better. In medicine, we sometimes see inflammation growing until a deep abscess breaks open. A burst appendix is a common example. Leftover debris in wound sites presents a particular problem. At first, the body tries to wall it off, to encapsulate it. But the longer it goes unrecognized, the greater the chance for an infection to develop. Sometimes, leftover debris in a puncture wound site will work its way to the skin's surface as the skin forms new layers from below. Pieces of glass, splinters of wood, and stitches have found their way up and out like this. Unhealed wounds can also form tunnels, called sinus tracts. These tunnels hide the wound origin, but drain infection into an open space, like the mouth or neck. The surgeon has to follow the tunnel to its source rather than simply close the opening, or it will never heal. Similarly, our hidden unhealed wounds of the spirit will make themselves known, causing people to leave their spouse, their church, and their longtime friends. Withdrawal, anger, and self-destructive habits can occur when healing doesn't. The tragedies of post-traumatic stress disorder and suicide are dramatic results of earlier unhealed trauma. In American society, and especially in our churches, people increasingly seem to separate themselves into encapsulated defensive groups rather than resolve to clear the debris and seek closure. We avoid conflicting viewpoints instead of working together to heal wounds that cause division. Separation is not a sign of health. Polarization in America is at an all-time high, not just politically, but also socially. For example, mainline Protestant churches used to have members who might be described as theologically conservative, moderate, or liberal, all worshiping together. Perhaps tradition drove attendance, But in any case, a spectrum of views was clearly present within these large denominations. Now, though, individual churches tend to draw people who are like-minded, with little room for those who hold different ways of thinking. Congregations are becoming less diverse, following the same pattern as political and social movements, abandoning any uniting middle ground. Dan White Jr. laments this in his book Love Over Fear, 
challenging Christians to see polarization as a force that destroys communities and ultimately tears apart the kingdom of God. White cites Pew Research that shows a siloing effect. 73% of self-described conservatives say that their close friends share their same worldview. And similarly, 69% of those claiming a liberal leaning. Experts in church demographics show these changes visually. What was formerly a bell curve distribution of shared beliefs among members is now inverted, with two peaks on the far extremes and a long, shallow space in the middle. This inverse curve depicting polarization looks like a deep, gaping wound, impossible to close without a graph. Recently, our deep, hurtful wounds have found a different way to surface. Through social media. Hashtags with galvanizing phrases gain thousands of shares and personal comments. Triggered by public events, people disclose their secrets to a faceless world before revealing them to their closest family members. To many, it may seem safer to share our stories of assault, discrimination, or feuds on a screen than in a pew or in a dining room. We receive acceptance, encouragement, and even words of love from people we may never meet in person. Paradoxically, we use that same media to hurt those we know well, by unfriending or hiding posts from neighbors with whom we disagree, or by ghosting a romantic partner as a way to end our relationship. Of course, not all of our personal wounds are deep and life-threatening. Some are like a childhood scraped knee. We get a cute band-aid and move on, ignoring it after a day or two. A few minor disagreements with a partner or pastor rarely cause a split. But an inability to recognize and voice disagreement, to go through the stages necessary for restoration of relational trust and communication, does lead to isolation, a walling off, and an eventual rupture with scarring. The accumulation of such scars can become crippling over time. You know, one of the things that I think is so sharp that is clear in the book, that is clear as you lay it out in the story of the Good Samaritan, is that healing is a process. Healing yeah. is something that takes time. It does not happen yes. all at once. It cannot happen all at no, once. Cannot, yeah. And I think um, it's been explained to me at certain points, um, for example, by my wife, who is right, that I, when I'm sick, I'm a bad patient um, because yes. I, I want to be better now. Because uh, I don't, I don't feel good now. So now would be the best time to be better. And I wonder, in your own life, given your expertise on wound healing and, and healing generally, how has that knowledge that healing is a process that it does not happen instantaneously, that it takes time? How has that affected how you look at healing in your own life? Uh, I think two. One is that it really requires patience. Like you said, you know, we want to rush things because it's painful. Yeah. It is inconvenient. And it stops us from doing or achieving certain things. Like, for example, if you're in an organization, let's say a church or a corporation, and there has been injury and anger and kneeling, it stops you from doing the next thing. Yes. You, sometimes it paralyzes you. And you see that, I mean, I mentioned church and community, Christian ministry. 
um, I'm involved in Christian ministry a lot. So when you have cases where there's been injury, there's been anger, not only is it painful, inconvenient, it actually paralyzes, yes. you know, organizations from moving forward because nobody wants to cooperate. Nobody wants to go forward because everybody's angry or resentful of, of each other. So I have learned in my own healing that one, I need to be patient. I cannot rush people. I cannot rush forgiveness. I mean, these days it seems like, oh, if I say sorry, that's it. <laughs> sure. Everything's done. Everything's sure. done. I make my public apology or I go to the person. I already said sorry. How come we're, sure. we're not moving forward? And so I think the respect that there is time and people need time. And some people more than others need time or a situation is so bad. The wound is so deep that you need time for, you know, for those initial, initial stages of pain to go away. So I've become more patient, understanding that it is a process. The other thing, too, is that I'm not just waiting here patiently until God, you know, kind of orchestrates the next stage. I've learned to appreciate what is happening in this stage, mm. because when you look at the stages of wound healing, the first stage just actually lays down something so that it can transition to the next stage. Yes. So I think I've become more sensitive into, yeah, you know, that person is still not talking with me or, or our organization is still like this, but I kind of see that starting a little bit. So it, it has helped me become more discerning and sensitive of what's going on. And to, to basically, and that's exciting, I think. Mm. I yes. think it, it enhances your your discernment also enhances your sensitivity to people because you won't see change or those things unless you're really listening and observing to people. Yes. So I've become appreciative of, yeah, this stage is a bit uncomfortable, but these things are happening. I think so-and-so is a little bit more open to what I have to say, or I'm becoming more and more open to what he has to say. So those two things, patience and knowing that if I'm in this stage, I'm appreciating and looking, praying for, doing things, promoting things that are going to push us to the next stage. So it's not that you're just passively waiting for all yes. these things to happen. You have the, and this is what we want to do, is that you have the ability to see what's going to get us to the next stage. Understanding ourselves as members of one body is a powerful image that can be understood anew as we examine how wounds heal in both scientific and metaphorical terms. If the church is meant to mirror the body, with all of its amazing powers to heal from wounds, why is it split into so many pieces? There have been schisms since early Christianity, deep gashes that separated the faithful from one another as disputes about both doctrine and practice ruptured the community. Throughout the centuries, the separations have continued as denominational and cultural understandings limit fellowship at the communion table and beyond. Even within individual churches, steady streams of people move in and out of membership, often due to unhealed wounds. Reconciliation may appear too difficult, even hopeless, and this loss of hope is a fatal blow to the Christian body. Part of the problem may be in the idea of church as an organization rather than an organism though the latter is certainly implied by the term body of Christ. We are a gathering of individual people in a particular place, but we are also mystically united. Communion, in the double sense of that word, marks the body of Christ as both Eucharist and gathered members. 
Wound healing at the personal, group, societal, and body of Christ level is an organic process more than an organizational one. Depending upon dynamic interrelationship of living beings who are constantly changing, maturing, growing, dying, and starting over. In that process, all are changed. The wounded and the community in relationship with them. The human body's natural wound healing system provides analogies as we seek ways to mirror those processes while we strive to heal our social wounds. In some ways, we've always borrowed from the terminology of the body's wound response in discussing our emotional group wounds. She is scarred. He is raw. They are sensitive. This organization is a bloody mess. The leadership is too inflamed to think rationally. Our friendship is ruptured. Her marriage is broken. Someone needs to stop the bleeding in that church since the pastor left. The problem is, our language betrays a dependence on terminology related to crisis management and wounds that don't heal, rather than words that portray a slow, collaborative movement toward health. Bem turns this familiar language used on its head as she describes the incredibly intricate process of biological wound healing at the molecular and genetic level. Rather than relying on a disorganized, individual, and crisis-oriented response, Bem sees how the body is created with a framework that promotes full restoration and regeneration. But as we look at how the body is designed to react, we can see a realm of possibilities that offer integration, diversity, support, beauty, and possibility to our own hidden wounds. As we compare and contrast our physical and non-physical wounds, Terminology is important. Are we talking about emotional wounds? Spiritual? Psychological? Relational seems like an apt descriptor, but perhaps the truest word is corporate. That word can conjure up big business, but its Latin root is corpus, meaning in the form of a body. A corporation is simply a group of people united as one body for a common purpose. And so the wounds we will consider with fresh eyes are really our corporate ones those affecting our joined relationships with one another, whether in the family, society, or houses of worship. Their effects are shared, and their healing requires community. Because I was describing this wound healing to pastors, and one pastor said, you know, Ben, it just made me realize of God's grace that he put this wound healing process in my body and my wound healing is the same as that of a dictator. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure like, yes. It's not only righteous people who can heal their abrasions or their incisions. If I have an operation, you know, my wounds are going to heal even if, if I'm a Christian or if I'm somebody of another faith. Sure. And he said, you just showed me by telling me this universal biological process that happens across races and ages and all this, you just showed me what it means in a scientific way, God's grace, God's common grace. Yes. And I thought that was really kind of powerful (laughs) to do that. 
I think you're absolutely right. And I think that actually brings us full circle. You know, we started by we started on a negative note by describing the fact that <laughs> faith and science and healing have all they've had a, a tough run of it and that they often you know <laughs> disagree with each other. But I think where we're landing is to say that properly understood in an integrated life, faith and science and healing should give us a deeper appreciation of grace should give us yes. a deeper degree of hope and should give us yes. a, a greater degree of intimacy with God, where we understand yes. his love for us and his heart towards us. Yeah. And, and Jed, too, because, uh, you know, um, the two commandments of loving God, and I think we just covered that. But the other way, too, is I think understanding wound healing also gives us compassion for somebody who is wounded. Yes. You know, I, I don't like it when people say, get over it. Or, sure. <laughs> it's like, move on already. Come on. Or put on your big girl pants or something like that. Some version of that in that move on, you know, just move on. Why, why are you, you know, why are you stuck in this or that? I think understanding the process of wound healing, how complicated it is and what you need in order to achieve it did not only help me understand God's power and his mercy and his grace. It also helped me respect that people have different rates of healing. Sure. Yes. <laughs> so, so is that, you know, so I'm very careful in terms of telling somebody to just kind of move on, you know, and understand why are you in this stage? Why are you still angry? Why are you still um, resentful? Why are you still uncooperative, you know, because of something happened and you don't want to do this? So so that's the second part. It's, it's allowed me to love my neighbor and others better because it helped me understand that the healing doesn't happen automatically, um, at least from the wounds of our hearts and our minds, but it is a process and everybody's rates of wound healing are, are very different. You know, that's beautiful. And I think that's such a perfect place to land that, you know, faith and science and medicine can come together and help us in a very real way to better love God and better love our neighbor. And yes. what, yeah. what greater reward could there be yes. than that? Yes, and that hopefully that will help us um, have communities that are uh, that are promoting flourishing rather than communities that are always locked in conflict. And um, you know, so I just at least what Jane and I hope for is that we obviously don't have the answers to everything, but we we hope that at least some of the things that we share that people can take them and use them in order to just. Not just build, you know, relationships we had with family or friendship, but actually build communities that are uh, that are nourishing of, of human flourishing rather than human wounding or you know or destruction. So that's really what we hope in uh, in a big way. So when I graduated from medical school, the dean said to all of us, "Have." of everything that you've learned in the last four years is going to be found to be wrong in your career. Wow. And he said, the problem is you won't know what goes in the wrong half. <laughs> you're, you're fire. And I vividly remember like the gut, the gut punch that was because I thought I, I've never studied so hard in my life. And you're telling me that half of it isn't even right. And, but what he was saying, and it kept, it kept with me, it was a good word, was always, always be willing to be corrected and hold your quote truth a bit tenuously, um, do the best you can in the situation, but always be willing to, um, 
ask for help and to go further. And I'm not saying that I'm holding the truth of Christ tenuously, but I have needed others to help shape my reactions to different things in the world of the church and faith and that sort of thing. So um, it was just, it was a beautiful word about humility. Well, I love that. And let me ask you a follow-up question. So um, I have been told that you are I, – I know it to be true, of course, that you are a very, very talented person. But I am told that you don't like that to be put out on blast to the world. But I do have to drop one more of your credentials because it pertains to the following question, which is that our guest today, Dr. Jenny McLaren, in addition to all of the many things that she does, is also a seminary-trained theologian. And so I'm wondering that idea of saying you've studied very hard, half of what you learned here is wrong, and you're going to have to figure that out on the fly. One wonders if on some level that applies to at least some of the things one learns in seminary. The idea mm. of these are some people's best ideas, but they are not perfect ideas. How has that played out for you in your theological endeavors in terms of I've learned a lot, but all learning has to go on and has to evolve with time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, one of the wonderful things about my theological education is that it was transdenominational. So there were perspectives from lots of different um, strands of the Christian church. I mean, it was Christian, but it was transdenominational. That was that was interesting because even professors would argue with each other, whether it's over things like baptism or over things like um, the end of the world. But I think what has helped me and maybe this comes with getting older too, is I have a much deeper respect for mystery mm. and for the fact that I'm not God. <laughs> sure. And um, maybe, you know, we have this thing about, and now we see in the mirror darkly, but then we'll see him face to face. And people often interpret that as, and then I'm going to know the answers to all of my deep questions. I don't think so. I don't think we're going to care. You know, I think we're going to be in such joy. And if we actually see God as God is, I think we'll understand who we are, too, in a really full and beautiful way. And I don't think we're going to care about all those. Why did this happen? And, you know, what's your what's your opinion on women in leadership or whatever? whatever sure, absolutely. Why, hey, I don't I don't think it's going to matter. I don't think we're going to ask questions. I think you're right. To, to paraphrase, my very favorite book by C.S. Lewis is a retelling of an ancient Greek myth, and it's called Till We Have Faces. And That's there's my favorite book. Well, I see. I I knew we were vibing. Okay, so um, twenty five. It's his favorite book. Really. Mm-hmm. So there is near the end. There's a moment. I don't want to give anything away, but but the the protagonist speaks and says, uh, referring to to God, I see now why you offer no answer. You mm. yourself are the answer. In your mm. face, problems fade away. What other answer would suffice? Mm. Beautiful. Isn't it? Yes. And, you know, Job kind of echoes that, too, in the book of Job, which is the first book that was written in the Old Testament. A lot of people don't know that. It's the most ancient book. Really? Mm-hmm. So you're saying people have been asking these questions a very long time. Yes, they sure have. 
And I just think, yeah, circling back, um, what do we have confidence in? We have confidence in God and God being a God of love, mercy, kindness, all of those attributes. Um, we don't have to have confidence in the exact um, correct answer on a test of theological questions. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, as we're learning in the ways that matter to to answer those questions, every new bit of insight helps. And that, I think, is what you and, of course, uh, our mutual friend, uh, Dr. Simbling Kuliat, have done with the new book, which is designed to heal what the body shows us about healing wounds, repairing relationships, and restoring community in stores wherever you buy books this August 2021. Thanks, Jed. <laughs> Dr. McLaurin, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.